So yesterday I had the honor of participating in the wedding of Colleen Shannon. Uh, she, I've known Colleen since she was a little sixth grader running around the basement of the church. And um, she's the daughter of Tom and Kathy Shannon. Kathy served as our children's minister for over 16 years. And it was just an honor to be a part of that. Um, so Colleen was married yesterday. It was a beautiful day. The wedding was out on the ward reservation. And uh, that so it's the highest point in Essex County. It was a beautiful day, a little splash of fall color everywhere. You could see the Boston skyline in the distance, and it was perfect. And on the side of this hill, there's one solitary tree, and the tree served as a backdrop for the ceremony. And all the chairs were out, and the guests came in and were seated, and uh, the, the harpist started plucking a beautiful melody, and it was just perfect day, a perfect setting. The men come in, they're all handsome and dressed up, and then the bridesmaids, one by one, they come down the aisle, long dresses, very beautiful, with their flowers are beautiful. And then comes the moment, the bride, escorted by her loving father, beautiful, radiant. Everybody stands all at once, and they stand and just see this, uh, this moment. And... My wife and I would like to look at the groom at that moment and see how uh, he's responding. And it, we look over, and he just loses it. He just starts crying, and I love that because I did that. And um, the officiant has to kind of hold him up. You know, he's so just staggered by the beauty and the radiance of this amazing young woman. And that, uh, that was the moment. And today... As we consider who we are as a church, we are the bride, radiant, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, holy and blameless, perfect for our groom, Jesus, who loves us and loves us to death. This is one of those images, even as a man, I get it. I love this image. Um, I want to be that bride. I want to uh, be so perfect and beautiful and loved. And when you realize how loved you are by the God of the universe, that will change you. That will change your heart. And, and this is fundamentally the difference between who we are and how we live and, and how the rest of the world thinks we live and, and thinks we believe. I'll, I'll explain that later. But we're going we're gonna to look at this image of the bride this morning. We're continuing a sermon series called uh, Images of the Church, just different pictures of what it means to be God's people. And if you weren't here last week or if you have forgotten already, uh, we, we're looking at these things. What does it really mean to be the church? You know, the church is not a building. We call the building a church, but the church is the people. We are the church. And the church is not the leaders of the church. I mean, the clergy and the professionals, that's the church. And and then there's everyone else. No, we're, we're all the church. Church isn't something you do. Okay, we're going to go to church, or we're going to go do church today. It, it, it's not something we do. It's something we are. The church is God's people. It's God's people everywhere and all time. That's the universal church, the invisible church, but also local expression of it as we gather in this time, in this place. We, the free Christian church, we call ourselves, but we are God's people as we gather on Sundays and as we scatter about the Merrimack Valley and beyond throughout the week, we are still the church gathered and scattered. Uh, we are his people. 
And we live in a world that more and more, all the time, is just done with church. Just has very little interest. There's this uh, spiritual thirst, as, as Bruce was saying. People have a spiritual thirst. They don't think the church has any spiritual water to give them. It, not only do, do, do people more and more feel that the church isn't going to help me on my spiritual journey, but actually the church is, actually might be hurtful, harmful, if I were to be part of these people. And again, our job is not to be more attractive to the world around us. Our job is not to convince people, uh, you know, debate them about the merits of being part of a church and a spiritual family. Our job is to be the church. And in order for us to be the church, we need to know God's intent. How, how has God designed us to be his people? So last week we talked about the body. The church is a body, meaning we need each other and we are unified even though we are diverse and um, we support one another. And we've been living that out this week in, through joys and sorrows. And here in verse 30, even in this text, it, uh, the teaching is reminding us we are members of his body. So we are, we are the body of Christ. We are a body, that same image here. But the image we're going to focus on this morning is the image of the bride. In, in each week through the fall, we're going to take a different one of these images together. So let's pray as we jump into this one. So, Father, whatever the condition of our heart right now, whether we come here with a great joy or, or, or sorrow or ambivalence or however our heart is, your love is consistent and good and sufficient. And we thank you that you are present. And we thank you that you love us enough to teach us and speak to us, Lord. So we just pray you do your good work during this time as we consider who we are and who you are, Lord. We thank you for your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bruce, this Ecuadorian water is fantastic. <laughs> you guys do great work. Just kidding. Um, I'm going to take this in two parts. The first, I want to do sort of a, a, a New Testament overview of this image as God's people as the bride of Jesus. And then I want to consider the implications of, of what that means. So, uh, what we need to do is, if, if you could find a Bible in front of you, the black one, or brown, there's different ones, so grab that. Or, if you, if you use your Bible on your mobile device, go ahead and take your mobile device and you can open your Bible app. That's gr I love when people do that in church. It's, um, it's okay. Those are good resources. I know you're not just checking your social media and texting your friends, so I trust you. Um, so we're going to first turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. So... My, when I was a kid, my youth pastor said, the best page in your Bible is table of contents, <laughs> Old Testament, New Testament. It says Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, page 1027 in my Bible. We're going to go to John chapter 3. This is, Jesus is just coming on the scene here. So John 3, verse, let's go to verse 29. This is... Uh, John the Baptist. <clears throat> Actually, back up to verse 28. <clears throat> so J John is saying this. This is John chapter 3, verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. 
and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. This is, uh, this is John proclaiming that the Messiah, the, the Savior, has, the, the anointed one of God has come. And he's not, he, he kept having to tell people, I'm not the Messiah. And people thought he might be. He said, but he, he's coming. And he's, he's the groom. And I'm, I'm like the best man. And the best man's job is not to be anywhere near the bride, but to be ready and to make sure everything is in place so that when the moment is right, there's just this beautiful joy. And then the best man just gets to see it all happen. He said, I'm, the, I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. Jesus is is the groom, and he is here. Just a beautiful, joyful anticipation. So, And then Jesus, in his ministry, used that language for himself. He described himself as the groom uh, with, his, with his people with his, uh, at his wedding, and that was language that he freely used. So, okay, we're going to skip forward a little bit. So we're in John. You're going to go to 2 Corinthians. So it goes John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So we're flipping towards the back more. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I pass it. Okay, 2 Corinthians 11, right at the beginning of the chapter here. Now we, we talked about Corinth a little bit last week. Corinth was a, a church that the Apostle Paul had started. They were following Jesus, but they had some troubles. They were deeply divided in many ways. There was a number of letters that Paul communicated back with this church to help them and to kind of coach them and to disciple them. And this is 2 Corinthians 11 at the beginning of the chapter says, I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness, but you're already doing that. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, and I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds have somehow been led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. What he's saying is, if you, if you understand yourself as a bride, and you're supposed to be pure for Jesus, you can't you can't date. You can't go explore. If Jesus is the groom who loves us, who loves us to even die for us, that we need to be, his devotion to us needs, requires our devotion and our sincerity to him, not to just explore other ideas and to look for, and this is a church that was looking for other ways to find uh, spiritual uh, richness, to find wisdom, and they were out and hearing different things and Exploring them, but the commitment that is required if we understand ourselves as the bride is a pure and full commitment. Um, it, and when God's people stray from him, and, and this is an image that we see even in the Old Testament, that it, the Bible describes that like adultery. It's that you're going to, you, you've, you've cheated on your, your true love, and, and you've been looking for love in other places, and this is not, this is not God's design. Okay, let's look at another one. Here, we're going to go to the very last book. This is Revelation chapter, we'll start in chapter 19. So keep flipping to the back. You'll see Revelation. There's a bunch of short books in there too. And then Revelation chapter 19. This is now at the end of, uh, at the end of time when, when Christ is 
fulfilling all his saving work and renewing work in a world that's broken by sin. It's all renewed and made right. And the image here is of a wedding. Revelation 19, let's start at verse 6. It says, then, oh, and this is, a, this is a vision that God gave. I heard, Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of a rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The, the, the saints are God's people. This is the image that God's people have been have been made pure and they're wearing this righteousness that's been given to them and, and it's ready to be complete and to, to be unified forever. Skip forward, just turn a page to the right here, chapter 21, Revelations 21, verse 2. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, so this is a nation of people, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is the image when it's all done and all evil and sin and all the destructive death that comes into our world is just made completely new by Jesus. And the image is his people married to him, ready. It's just a beautiful image. And so now back to the, the main image that we're looking at today in Ephesians chapter 5. This is in your Bible or on the back of your bulletin. Um, you can see, this is, again, the Apostle Paul. He's teaching the church in Ephesus, and he's teaching husbands and wives how to, how to be married and how to live as husbands and wives. And he uses this image of, of the church, of God's people as the bride, and Jesus as the groom, as an example to understand marriage. And he goes back and forth between talking about marriage and talking about Jesus. So he says, you know, this is, you're to love this way, because that's how Jesus was, and and this is what marriage is, and it's a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Jesus, but I'm actually talking about marriage. And you, you can see how it's almost uh, confusing how it, it jumps back and forth. And it, it's, it's a very good image. It's teaching husbands to love their wives just like Christ loved the church. To, it, here, and here's the, the beauty of this. It, it's that, and the reason it goes back and forth so freely is that marriage, as we understand marriage, helps us to understand the good news of Jesus. So the more we understand marriage correctly, we can understand Jesus better. And then the more we understand Jesus and what he's done and what he did on the cross, the more that we'll understand what marriage is. And as our knowledge of either of those things goes up, we understand the other better. They, they explain one another. And so the, the good news of Jesus and marriage explain each other. If you think about marriage, there's really, um, yeah, I suppose it's a lot of confusion, you know, what is marriage and, and what is it for and what, what, what is the purpose? And, but uh, traditionally, you know, marriage is, the most traditional view of marriage is that marriage is a, a union of a man and a woman who sacrifice 
It's built on uh, mutual sacrifice for the sake of the one, that the two become one flesh, and that you, your identity sort of is not as important as the new union that is formed. So you do whatever it takes to maintain that union, and you, um, you give for the other and you sacrifice, because the new marriage is greater than the parts. <clears throat> there's, a, there's more of a, what I'll call a contemporary view of marriage, and it's the what we sometimes call the self-actualization view of marriage, or the, the you-complete-me view of marriage, where marriage is more about finding yourself, that you found a partner who brings out the best in you, that you become more you as you get married, and, and, and that that person is, is completing you and helping you to be a better you, and you are helping your partner to be a better him or her. And that's, it's about self-actualization. And some say, you know, the, the more traditional views of sacrifice, you, you lose yourself, and it seems kind of old-fashioned and a little bit depressive. And others would say, well, the, the more contemporary view is, is a little individualistic, and it, it's, it can be a little selfish and self-serving. And, you know, what, how does the gospel inform this? And here's the good news of the gospel, is that in the gospel, we don't have to choose between self-sacrifice or self-fulfillment. In Jesus Christ, self-sacrifice leads to fulfillment. That Jesus Christ came to this earth to give himself for us, to sacrifice himself. He came to this earth. Every one of us, every person on earth has sinned and, and just fallen short of God's standards and we are broken and spiritually dead from that. But Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life. And he lives a perfectly righteous life. And he trades on the cross, he trades all his goodness and his righteousness. He trades it for our sin and brokenness. He gives us his life. He gives us new life. And he dies in our place. Complete sacrifice. But, Scripture teaches, Hebrews chapter 12, says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. That it was Jesus' joy, it was his pleasure to sacrifice. That, so as we, understand, as, as we understand this way of life that's shaped by what Jesus has done, that we can sacrifice and have great joy and fulfillment in that. They, they go hand in hand. So we look at all these images, we're looking at all these different ways that this image is you know, being used to teach about marriage or, or being used to understand the completion of all of God's work and all these things. It's all about being loved so excellently, so fully and receiving that love. And the implication for us now, as we think about the implications of being the bride, is that being loved like this changes your heart and it gives you a whole new capacity to love others. Again, marriage is a good example of this. If you think of a bride who is... A, a, a wife who is, who is loved and cared for and her capacity to then love, uh, love her, her neighbors and coworkers or family, the, the capacity to love is increased. But if you think about a wife who is abused by a violent man, who is uh, neglected and, and put down, that her capacity to, to love and to extend love around her is, is reduced. Or think about a child a child who was raised in a nurturing home where there is a lot of love and support. And that child, the potential and the hope for that child is great of what that child can do as that child grows and learns and, and finds his or her gifting to, to use in the world. 
around. But if you consider a child who's been neglected or a child who's been abused, who has not been loved, the, the, the potential and the hope is very low. When we are loved and when we receive love, it allows us, it increases our capacity to love. And we understand Jesus' love so complete and so perfect. Our capacity to love is huge. And we as the church, as the bride, so loved by Jesus, we, we now can live lives of love where we go and we serve others and we worship our God and we tell other people about what Jesus Christ has done. That's, that's, it's the love that compels us. That's actually very different than what the, a lot of people think we do. There's a lot of people in this world who think that we are here, we come to this place on Sundays because we believe that God is angry at us and that we're here to do our duty so that he, his, we kinda, so we can make peace with him so that he's more on our side and not against us. People think we come here and, and give gifts uh, to earn God's favor so that we can go back to our businesses and maybe we'll be more prosperous so we can go back to our families and we'll be healthier and maybe happier. Uh, they think we're, we're trying to earn God's favor. That's not what we're doing here. We're not trying to earn God's blessing. We can't earn God's blessing. Scripture says that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. It wasn't when we were gathering together to sing. It wasn't when we were giving gifts. It wasn't, it wasn't any of those. It wasn't when we were so good. It's when we were stuck in our sin that we experience his love, that Christ died on our behalf, that we can receive forgiveness in your life. That's when. So now that love compels us to gather and to sing and to give and to serve. Not to earn his favor, but because he loves us so much. That's a very different motivation. I'll illustrate it like this, and I've, I've shared this illustration a hundred times, so you just have to forgive me, but I love, I love doing it, so, and you can't stop me. Um, it's not even original to me. I stole it, so... Um, but here's the illustration. I go out and I buy a beautiful bouquet of flowers for my wife. And they're, 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 they're beautiful. And I come home and I hand them to her. And she says, thank you. These are beautiful. Why, why did you do this? And I could say, well, I, I don't want you to be angry with me. I'm actually afraid of you. And if, if I didn't buy you these flowers, I thought you might be angry, and so I got them for you, and I hope that this is an acceptable gift to you because I really can't deal with the, uh, the wrath, your <laughs> wrath. It's not a great gift. Or I can get the beautiful bouquet of flowers. I go home. I hand them to my wife. She says, oh, they're beautiful. Thank you. Why did you do this? I could say, well, I was kind of hoping... I got you this gift, so maybe you get me a gift. So maybe I get something in return here. Maybe you cook more of my favorite food, or maybe you, um, maybe you get me that grill, the new grill I've had my eye on, or, you know, here's your gift. You know? Not a great, not a great gift. Or I get beautiful flowers, I bring them home, I hand them to my wife, she said, these, these are beautiful, thank you, why, why did you do this? I said, well, I'm a good husband. It's my duty to bring you beautiful flowers. That's what good husbands do. You're my wife. I put it on my planner, and then we were due for flowers, and I 
I got them, and I made it home on time and everything, and then I've done my husband duty, and here you go. Okay, I mean, that's, that's a little better, maybe. Or this. I get the flowers, beautiful bouquet, I hand them to my wife. She says, thank you, they're beautiful. Why did you get them? I love you. I love you so much, and I bought these flowers because I love you, and it, it, you bring joy to my life, and I wanted to bring joy to your life, and so I got you these flowers, and um, you're worth more to me than all the flowers in the world, but I got you these just, as a, just because I could, and, and I love you so much with all my heart. That's a good gift. We live in a world that thinks that we come here because we're afraid that we just need to be right with God or just do our religious duty because we're good Christians and this is what good Christians do. We're to somehow get God to give us a little favor back. But what we're doing is we realize that we've been so loved by God that we sing, that we give, that we serve one another, that we serve the world around us. That's, the, that's our motivation. And that's the, that's the love we have to share with the world. So this is what I want you to do. What do you do with this image tomorrow? Whatever God calls you to at work or day off or whatever you're doing tomorrow. It's simply this. Just remind yourself over and over and over. Remind yourself how loved you are. Remind yourself of your identity, that you are the bride of Jesus who loved you so much that he would die, that you would be pure and holy without a blemish or a spot to make you perfect for him. Keep reminding yourself of who you are and what he's done. We have been so loved that we have a whole new capacity then to love the world around us. Amen.